The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. I'm joined by the Minister for Public Expenditure, President of the Eurogroup, and Fine Gael TD for Dublin Centre, uh, Central, that being Pascal Dunne. And I think this could be the first time in my life I'm on the same show as Marty Pello from it is, West. Uh, You're welcome I to hang around uh, and, and sing a duet. I don't see how I'm going to compete with that. <laughs> Before we get to Marty Pello and all of that, there are a number of issues that I, I want to discuss with you. One is your, your political predictions because you're interviewed in the Business Post talking about what you think is likely to happen in respect of the next election. Before that, we got numbers during the week about our GDP figure saying that we are technically in a recession. I was talking to Colin McCarthy about this and it was his view that this is very technically because it relates to exports from US multinationals and not much beyond that. I assume that's your view as well. It is. I think it's such a technical matter. It makes little difference to the lives of your listeners. I think we all look define what a recession can look like by where we are with employment and what the government is able to do with the funding of our public services and the health of our public finances. Last year, we saw a further increase in the number of people at work in Ireland and our public finances are in surplus. This is all to do with how we measure our economy, less the reality of our economy. And it is to do with our exposure to a relatively small amount of, of big giant corporates who, if their exports drop, our GDP drops. That, that is exactly it. Uh, and uh, they are so important to us from an employment perspective, from a public finances perspective, and from an exporting perspective. Uh, but those companies are, at the moment are... Uh, underpinning the strength of our economy, the strength of our employment and our public finances and not a vulnerability in us. I should highlight one figure within it, which is where we are with inflation. To see inflation moving to two, near 2% is so important because if we can hold it at that during the year, uh, of course, it still means that prices are going up but they're going up at a far slower pace than they have for the last few years. Well, that good brings news us for to households, good news for businesses. You talk about the issues that matter to people and I mean, we've, we've been talking a lot about that poll in the Sunday Independent, but the t- top two issues that matter to people are unsurprising. They are housing and they are the cost of living. Cost of living largely influenced by things like uh, the um, level of inflation. Housing is within the control of government and again, we seem to be a long way from the government getting its arms around it. Uh, but the government has built 100,000 houses since it came into office, either built directly or, to be more accurate, enabled the delivery of through supporting the private sector. And if you look at, our, look at where we are with the most recent commencement figures, and that's the number of homes that have begun to be built. Uh, in December of last year, it was over 3,000. We've never had a year, we've never had a month in which it's crossed 2,000 new homes being commenced, let alone 3,000. And what I believe we are going to be able to demonstrate as the year goes on is progress in building more and more and more homes. We're the only country in the European Union last year that built more homes than it did the previous year. Do you look back at any, at any stage and say we made a huge strategic error in choking off home building during the recession and that we are paying for it now nationally and you'll pay for it electorally? So I see it a little bit differently. Uh, For me, it's a reminder of why you should, at nearly at all costs, avoid going bankrupt and avoid going insolvent. If you look at so many of the difficulties we have, I attribute it to the long shadow and aftermath 
of the financial crisis and the banking crisis here in Ireland. And if you get into a position where your banking sector nearly collapses, if you run out of money and your construction sector flees to the four corners of the world, it takes years to build it back, which is why for me, my defining lesson in politics continues to be keep your public finances safe, value economic but is, stability. Sorry, is that to suggest that you would have liked to have continued to build if you had the economic tools? To, is that what you're suggesting? That oh, in policy the, terms, if you would have, could if, you have? If the economic tools have been available, but they weren't. Uh, we, in the aftermath of the financial crisis, we were in essence insolvent. Uh, and we weren't in a position where we could continue to prioritise capital investment. Uh, as it was, we had to make really tough decisions in day-to-day spending and taxation, which again just underpins the point I just made a moment ago. Avoid that happening at all costs because it takes so long to get out of the shadow of us. Is it difficult, therefore, to approach the electorate when you're now betrothed to the, to the party that was ultimately responsible for that? Um, well, actually, whenever the election comes, which I still think is a fair bit away, while the two parties and the three parties that are in government will go in independently of each other, I really think we'll be able to offer collectively a strong case for our re-election if the people want to do it. This is a government that will have... But sorry, uh, Minister, what you, your thesis there has been the reason we are in a lot of the problem that we are in with housing is because we didn't have scope to build during the economic downturn. The reason we had this economic downturn was the governmental incompetence of our coalition partner who we are now offering ourselves with to the electorate. And I made the case to go into government with Fianna Fáil in 2020. I made the case within my own party and publicly. And I did so because in 2020, I believed that was the best prospect of a stable government, forming a government with Fianna Fáil and with the Green Party, with three really different parties, with really different histories and different views of our country. But again, I'd make the case that despite the pandemic, despite a cost of living crisis and soaring inflation, uh, we're going to have built more homes. We're going to have helped our country through a cost of living crisis. And I think each party will make its case separately at that point. Do you fear that you will be jilted for Sinn Féin? Uh, uh, actually, I believe this government can get re-elected and I've argued the case for this for, so, for a long time now. Uh, the reason why uh, I believe we can make the case for our re-election is the fact as I've just outlined a moment ago. Uh, I believe for some time a sense of inevitability has been created regarding Sinn Féin getting into government. I've never bought into it. I've never accepted it. And uh, Even at 35% as they are now, 27%? I mean, they are so significantly beyond where you are in the poll. But they're a long way away from the cumulative total of the three parties that are in government at the moment. Despite all the hype, the three parties that are in government at the moment have consistently be between 45 to 50% of the share of any recent opinion poll. Uh, I have to say, opinion polls, elections are a long way away from me at the moment. Uh, but uh, if you look at what is happening, the slide has set in with Sinn Féin, the rock well, has set in. Well, just explain this to me, because this is what I, I was quoting you saying this within the, in, in the business post, and I can understand the political motivation to say it. But if you look at the kind of issues that you're facing into at the next election, housing, cost of living, health care and immigration being the top four, according to uh, today's poll, it is hard to see how the government will look like shining heroes in respect of any of those by the time you're going to the doorsteps. There's not many shining heroes in government anywhere across the world at the moment. That's because we live in unpredictable, dangerous and volatile times. Uh, I'm not looking for heroism. I'm looking for to be able to make the case that we've made a difference. 
with regard to the cost of living will be, I'll be suggesting to the people come election time that due to the health of our public finances, we could help with the cost of living. For example, through the energy credits we've made available on two different budgets. With regard to housing, I'll be making the case that we're building more homes than we have in recent years this, in the absence of the kind of credit bubble that drove this the last time. And in relation to migration and immigration, God knows I know how difficult an issue that is. But I do believe there's a strong case to be made for the benefits of migration. And I also believe that by the time we get to this government coming to an end, we'll be able to show a better plan for how our country can deal with this in the years ahead. And then in health, waiting lists are falling since the dark days of the pandemic when it comes to health. Uh, our hospitals are getting more investment. We've 20,000 more people working in our health service than we did in 2020. But when you look at all of those issues, you will have Sinn Féin saying the housing problem is of the government's own making and we uniquely have a solution, which is to shift to the public building of housing. In cost of living, we will actually tax the rich and lower the taxation on the poor, which will uh, rebalance the tax system in, in, in favour of those on, on the socioeconomic margins. In healthcare, they'll point at the overspend of the children's hospital and the waiting list continuing ad infinitum. On immigration, they will point even this weekend at tents in the street, collapsing under the weight of snow for international protection seekers. That's very hard to defend. Oh, Any of those. Let, let them make each of those claims come election time and let them be subject to the kind of critical scrutiny that I am and I should be at each point in time. They can make those claims. I'll point to their track record and their track record has is if that Sinn Féin um, had ran our public finances in the way they wanted them to be run over the last number of years, we would have spent all the money. We wouldn't have had the ability to come through a pandemic and a cost of living crisis in the way we have with the ability to still spend more money addressing the issues you've just raised. While we're talking uh, polls and politics, the referendums that are upcoming, obviously government uh, significant, no, not significant, totally supporting a yes vote and calling for a yes vote in both referendums. As Conor Pope pointed out earlier on, we are seeing a shift, not from yes to no, but from both to total confusion. That would point to a campaign that isn't exactly working very well. And we tend to get to a point where you get closer to polling day and on that people refocus in on the proposition in front of them. And it's not always as clear and not always as... Uh, uh, a third of people totally baffled. Uh, but this is a standard feature of when you approach referendums and approach polling day. Let me briefly make a case in relation to it and just let me root it in my old day-to-day -day experience. On Friday, I visited the school within my constituency. I was talking to the teachers about the work that they do with their young boys and girls. And it's now a reality that in our country, uh, half of the babies that are born uh, are born into families that are not recognised as family units by our constitution. That's the simple argument that I would make. And the referendum proposal that we have, particularly with regard to the definition of the family, is looking to update that to reflect the reality of modern Ireland. Well, maybe that's you, the simple case I'd make. Maybe you might be able to answer the argument that a lot from the no side have made, which is the, the kind of straw man argument that says, look, if you have a relationship between, let us imagine, man and woman and you have kids, if there is a marriage there and then a divorce, the legal system can deal with the responsibilities they're in. If there isn't a marriage and there is a separation and then another relationship starts and more kids developed, where is the durable relationship in that milieu but the, and the how do you define it? can still deal with all of that. Our law can still deal with all of that. And for me, what a durable relationship is, is a durable, is a relationship that is lasting 
and a source of certainty to all members of the family unit that are in that durable relationship. But are you asking therefore people to vote in the expectation that the Oireachtas will deliver what this wording doesn't, which is clarity? Uh, well, uh, the Oireachtas will then in the future, of course, have to legislate in a way that is consistent with the new wording. But if you're looking for clarity and certainty, I go back to the earlier point that I made. How is it to be in a place where half of the babies that are being born in our country are being born into family units that are not recognised in our constitution? How is that a source of certainty? How is that a source of clarity? It's not. And for me, What's so important in that foundational document of our constitution is that it reflects our values as a country, but also reflects the reality of modern Ireland. And it doesn't at the moment in terms of how care is given and how families are defined. And that's what we're looking to change, Anton. To the other side of uh, the other question, the referendum is in respect of the deletion of the woman's uh, role in the home and the recognition of the role that carers play. And when you speak to some people within uh, the yes side on that, for instance, uh, some of the representatives of the carers organisations, they believe that what this will do is put the government in a position where it is forced, incentivised, required, obligated to uh, deliver legislation that gives continuing support to carers. Are they right in that assumption? I, I believe they are right in that assumption. I believe that we will be, if this referendum is passed, two consequences will flow from us. The first one is the government will certainly have to give greater regard uh, to how care is provided within our society. I believe we give regard to it at the moment, but an inevitable consequence of that is that that a prominence will increase. And of, second, of family and relation carers rather than state care? Uh, of, of all forms of care, actually. But the referendum here is about how care is provided within a family context. But that's where the question I'm asking is, does it, when you, if you are incentivised to change how you support care, surely this wording requires you to give uh, preeminence to family carers and those who care through a durable relationship rather than through state provision? Oh, I don't see it like that at all. I mean, we, the, the idea that by uh, uh, the, this referendum being passed, we would in some sense then be implicitly deprioritising those who are the most vulnerable, who don't have a family or a durable relationship within which they can get care. Like, that's not on the cards at all. We have uh, many within our society who find themselves in really vulnerable situations where the state has to have a higher regard to them, who depend on agencies like TUSLA, for example. That's always going to be a priority. I just go back to the reality of where we are today. It's simply a reality now that grandparents, uh, that uh, brothers, that sisters, that single parents provide care in a way that is every bit as real as the care of how we used to think about it just being provided by a mother and we're trying to recognise that in our constitution. Final thing, how sick are you of RTE? How sick am I of RTE? I think like most people, I couldn't say I'm sick, but I certainly have a weariness of how long this has been going on for. I be, couldn't be anything but be honest in acknowledging that. But alongside that weariness is the reality that journalism matters and public service broadcasting matters. And we keep on with this to get it to a better place. Now, tell us what you're... Uh, obviously, there are, are names in the hat for RT Chair, and I believe we're going to well, know... I'm, I'm not one of them anyway. Indeed. Um, I suspect <laughs> that somewhere there must be a law that precludes you holding both roles. Um, there are names in the hat. I'm not going to ask you to comment on which of those names, obviously, because you, you couldn't. Yeah. 
But what are you looking for in a chair? Is it Are you looking for an academic? Are you looking for somebody with an arts background? Are you looking for somebody with a business background? What is the actual solution in terms of competence that the government wants now? Uh, so the decision is one that will be made by Minister Martin in conjunction with the party leaders. Um, if I was to say what I think are the two qualities that feel important to me at the moment, number one is a track record and an experience of running and leading organisations. And number two, ideally, is that being the context of organisations that are changing and facing external pressures. Uh, before I let you go, you have a, a movie recommendation. <laughs> 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 yeah, so just by way of background, I came into the studio and we were just chatting away before we came on air and I saw in what great form I was in, didn't I? You did? This and you true. said, why? And I saw All of Us Strangers last night. This extraordinary film, the Paul Meskell and Andrew Scott film. And I've, I have never seen anything like it. I can remember the first time I saw Andrew Scott. Do you remember in Sherlock where he played Moriarty? And there's this unbelievable scene when Benedict Cumberbatch arrives into a swimming pool to confront Moriarty. And Moriarty's Andrew Scott and he plays him with unbelievable menace. Uh, but the performance I saw from Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell last night, I mean, how privileged are we for our country to have actors like that representing us on the cinema? This is before we get on to Killian Murphy. Oh, let's not even start. Minister, thank you very much. That is Pascal Luna, who is Minister for Public Expenditure, President of the Eurogroup and Fine Gael TD for Dublin Centre. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.